This is episode 569 with mental performance coach Cassie Weaver. And this is a big revelation for me because I can't remember which book exactly that I wrote, but what stood out to me about the book was that you can have thoughts and you can act independently from your thoughts. Mm. Your actions... Your actions do not have to follow your thoughts. And so you can think that, man, I'm really tired, but that doesn't mean that you need to act tired. Or if you tell yourself, or you can just feel your energy really, really low, doesn't mean you have to carry yourself around like you have low energy. And so as an athlete, what I wish that I would have known as an earlier age, um, when I wasn't feeling motivated, was that I can notice that as a thought and then I can act differently, and I can choose a different route and know that eventually once I Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement, and peak performance. And now, here's your host. I'm always super pumped anytime I get to connect with like-minded individuals who share a passion or the passion that I have for helping young athletes um, fulfill their potential to to be their best self. So you guys remember when we had James Leith on the podcast. Now, James's episode was was absolutely fantastic, like super amazing episode. And of course, James was kind enough to um, suggest um, Cassie as a potential guest on the podcast. And of course, as you guys already know, you know, I I don't bring any guests onto the podcast who would not be able to teach you guys things that are really, really good and that will transform your life and your career. So as I always do, I went into research and I said, hey, okay, let's see. Let me see what Cassie is all about. Guys, I'm not kidding. I'm literally not kidding. It took all of 10 minutes of researching and looking into Cassie I was like, no, man, she has to be on. Like, she has to be on the podcast. You know, I I saw her passion. I saw a dedication to what she does, to helping athletes. You see, you it's a rare combination to find people in sports, particularly, I can't speak for other fields, but in sports who are not only passionate about what they do, they are passionate about the people that they do it for. So you would always find one of the others. You know, so they are passionate about what they do. Yes, fine. But I mean, come on. The people that I do it for, I could care less about them. As long as they get the message. If they don't get the message, no, that's fine. So when you get the combination of both, like that is literally amazing. And I'm going to say it right here, right now. If you listen to this episode and you put into practice everything that Cassie talks about, your career and your life will be transformed. Like literally, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt. Unfortunately, I'm not a betting man. If not, I would have put a bet on it that look, you listen to this episode, you apply everything that Cassie teaches, without a doubt, your career and your life will be transformed. Cassie is a mental performance coach. And of course, she's a performance consultant with mentally strong consultants. She's also a four-time national volleyball champion. She spent years coaching volleyball. You know, she also has a master's in sports and exercise psychology. And of course, as you guys would see from this episode, men, trust me, I want to stop so that you can just listen. But trust me, as you guys would see, 
from this episode, the things that Cassie talks about, and we cover so many things in detail. We talk about motivation, you know, in terms of how you as an athlete can sustain motivation. We talk about how you can learn to deal with losses. We talk about imposter syndrome. So you as an athlete who doesn't really believe in yourself. We talk about how you can get your confidence up. We talk about how you can be coachable. We talk about, you know, in in terms of what your thought process should be like from an athlete's point of view. Then, of course, coaches, when they are working with athletes, what are some of the things that we're talking about? We talk also about combining self-talk with playing. Look, the list is endless. I spoke to Cassie for over an hour. And it felt like we talked for only two minutes. Literally, that is how the conversation flowed. And of course, you guys are going to see firsthand every single thing that we talk about. This episode, guys, is brought to you by my Athlete Maestro Daily Planner. So one of the things that we talk about, you know, especially at the end, which Cassie mentions, which is really, really important, is how as an athlete, you must learn to journal. And you must learn to take down certain things. Now, of course, I'm still working on the Athlete Journal, which is a project that is really, really passionate to me. But before that, I want you to get your hands on the Athlete Maestro Daily Planner, where you can learn to plan, master your day, and of course, adequately review things that you did during that day to make you a better athlete. So it ties perfectly into what Cassie was talking about. Head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash daily planner athlete maestro.com forward slash daily planner to get your hands on that daily planner so that you can start journaling the right way and taking advantage of your day when you're done when you get your hands on that come to this episode where your career is going to be transformed with the amazing cassie weaver going through you know many of your accomplishments and i saw that you you know have pretty deep experience as an elite gymnast i'm going to come to volleyball as well you know but it seems like those two sports more or less like on extremes of each other but talk to me about that experience in gymnastics because when i think about gymnastics you know i'm thinking simon Biles, i'm thinking all these great ladies <laughs> the world's greatest that's right i to tell you the absolute truth i was right up there with them Mm. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> nowhere near that level at all, but man, are they fun to watch. Um, and I know that the elite level works really hard on obviously the physical side of the sport, but also the mental side of the sport mm. as well. Um, my experience as a gymnast started when I was about two years old. Um, I was a rambunctious little toddler and didn't, and my parents really didn't know what to do with me. So they, decided to throw me in a sport that was going to wipe out all of my energy. Mm. Um, and so gymnastics, you go from apparatus to apparatus, event to event, um, and learning about mobility and flexibility and strength. Um, and so my formative years from maybe around two until I was uh, maybe eight or nine, um, I fell in love with this sport. And, and what I fell in love with it the most was doing things that people thought I couldn't do. Mm. Or even times like myself, I was like, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to try. And that act of trying is something that I think to this day, I still take for granted that I learned at such a young age that you can feel fear, mm-hmm. but you can do things anyways, despite your fear. Um, and to just say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to try. I think that's a mental skill that I learned at a really early age. Um, so throughout 
love the sport then. Um, I transferred over to the elite side of gymnastics around age 12. And from 12 to 16, I was competing nationally. And so through that experience, um, I really gained my confidence. I think mm -hmm. I would say that I was, um, we were trained how to look confident, even if we didn't feel confident. And you'll mm -hmm. notice that watching the gymnasts walk from event to event, they walk mm -hmm. with a purpose. And you can tell that they, you would, you would think that they would feel confident, but I'm sure from time to time, they are scared completely of what's about to happen and competing on a, on a very large scale in front of millions of people around the world. So um, looking back, that was something that I think I grew tremendously in. Um, and then what happened was I, something in my brain switched mm. and all of a sudden I couldn't do skills that I had been doing for the past 10 years. <laughs> and I, and my fear really, really got to me to the point that I had, and got to work with a sports psychologist. And mm. that was my first experience. And through that experience, I was able to overcome my fear um, and also flourish on each of the events. And um, then I was ready to transition to volleyball. Oh, fantastic. I love that. You know, and when you, when you talk, I was going to take you up on the elite gymnast side, but I, lo I love something you mentioned, which is, you know, that, that, that fear, so to speak, quote unquote, you know, in, in seeing a sports psychologist, and what comes to mind when you mention that is um, Chris Hoy's story. So Chris Hoy, you know, is one of the greatest um, track cyclists ever. You know, exceptional guy, multiple world champions, Olympic medals. And he talks about how when he was competing, right, he would always go to see a sports psychologist. And the people that he was competing with, so his, his teammates, fellow cyclists, you know, they'll be like, why are you going to see a sports psychologist exactly? You know, there was that stigma, so to speak, attached to it. And you also mentioned that now. Why do you think athletes have this? And for the athletes who have not, have not really seen that importance yet, what are some things that they should know? About a sports psychologist? About seeing or that stigma attached to, oh, I need to go and see a sports psychologist. Yeah, I was really lucky in the position when I first met with this psychologist, I felt like it was weird. But the way that it was presented to me was, Cassie, this is meant to help you. It doesn't mm. mean that there's something wrong with you. Um, there's just a little blip um, that we need to smooth out in your mm. mind. <laughs> and you can do that with tangible practices. So just like you train your body to be physically stronger, you can train your brain to be mentally stronger. Mm. And so of because it was presented in that way, I didn't feel like it was so much of a stigma. Now, mm. I would say um, that after the fact, I, it took me a while to feel comfortable talking about my experience mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. that. Even to this day, it's still a part of me is like, I felt I still feel this like, I needed help and not yeah. everyone needs help, but I think we're in a day and age now where it's crucial mm -hmm. to your performance because the talent pool is getting so large because of the access to strength and conditioning coaches, sports specific trainers that if you want to separate yourself from the competition, the margin for that is on the psychological side of sport. Um, mm. just because that's, what's really going to put you over the edge when you're in a pressure situation, um, or when you're feeling fear or, um, when you feel like you're stuck in a rut, those types of things and tools are what's really going to pull you ahead. Um, otherwise we might reach our, our full potential physically and not sure what we're capable of mentally. If we add that layer to our talent. 
Mm. It's fantastic that you mentioned that. Why, why do you think that athletes, if it's that simple, in the sense that, look, there's always going to be a peak to the physical abilities that you can have. You know, so you're not going to see someone, you know, except you're maybe David Goggins or somebody who will do like 500 push-ups at a go. At some point, the body is going to feel tired. The body is not going to be able to go further. But you don't necessarily have that with the mind in terms of its capacity to expand. If it's that simple, just like you and I are talking now, why is it that more athletes are not taking advantage of it? That's a great question. And I want to be very cognizant of, of it's, a, it's a specialty. It's mm. not something that's free. It's not easily accessible. There's only mm. a certain amount of sports psychologists. It's, sports psychology is a very relatively relatively new field. Mm. Um, and we're expanding and we're growing and we know where our importance lies. But sometimes I wonder if athletes just don't know about it, um, mm. that they don't know that they have access to one or really the word psychology in itself is kind of big. And so for younger <laughs> athletes, um, breaking that down and maybe saying like, hey, a mental performance coach, mm. um, somebody, another person on your team that's going to coach you up. I wonder if that would take away some of maybe the perceived stigma, um, the scariness to meet someone new that you're really sure that you have a lot of knowledge of what we're going to work on mm. as compared to I'm going to go to practice and I'm going to work on these skills. Or I'm going to mm. go to the gym and I'm going to lift weights. Mm. I'm going to go to a sports psychologist and we're going to do what? There's like that vulnerability there. I think that can sometimes stop athletes from actually taking that step and, and sitting down and meeting and being vulnerable in that position. Uh, good. If you come back to the physical side, you know, just like we're talking a lot about the mental side now, you know, and that elite level status of being a gymnast, what, what, what does it mean to be an elite gymnast? You know, so someone comes and says, you know, I'm a gymnast. And then the other person just beside comes and says, I'm an elite gymnast. That elite, how do you get there? That's a great question. Um, I would say that for in the gymnastics world, you have um, your casual gymnastics. Like you said, mm. I'm, just a, I'm just a gymnast, meaning that you're not looking to compete mm. at, at, at a national level. Um, and so there's what in, in the States here, there's what's called club gymnastics and it's different than high school gymnastics, mm. high school gymnastics. You go to a, a state meet or a regional meet and then you're done. Okay. And, and the club side of things, there are, uh, local meets within your state and then a regional meet and then a national meet. And if you do really, really well at the national, mm. um, most athletes that compete at national level are generally spoken about as elite gymnasts. Mm. Um, but if you do really well th at the nationals, that's how you um, progress into like an Olympic status gymnast or training for the Olympics um, to represent Team USA. So most of the athletes are not all um, of Team USA started mm -hmm. in a club versus a high school. High school is like more just casual gymnastics and uh, the club side's more elite. Mm. One of the things I love about, you know, this conversation and I love about you coming on now is that you've, you've kind of like experienced both sides. So the performance side of being the athlete and then the side of being the coach of those athletes. What would you say is the difference in the thought process for you being an athlete so when you were competing and now being a coach where you are now getting to coach the other athletes. So not even talking about the sports performance side, but talking about your experience as a volleyball coach. 
Yeah, my experience as a volleyball coach, um, it's it, it was unreal. I love coaching the physical side of sport. Mm. I also love coaching the mental side of sport. So that decision to step away from coaching is was really, really difficult. Um, and as far as the thought processes go of me being a volleyball player versus me as a volleyball coach, um, I think I'm, I'm constantly seeking on how I can help other people around me play their best. Mm. So what type of energy am I giving off? What kind of how I actually was kind of like, a, I, I love to coach while I was almost in college playing mm. as an athlete. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, constantly giving encouragement, um, other perspectives, not necessarily coaching the, the tactical side. Mm -hmm. But um, hey, you got this or maybe next time you could try this. Did you see uh, or I saw you do this. That was really awesome. Now I'm going to try it. And so I think just I have the passion and thought process that is how can I be better for other people? And I think that's what coaches are really looking for. Those those leaders or athletes that are able to help raise the level of performance of everybody around them. Mm. Um, and so as a, as a coach, that's what I try to do too, is how do you, how do you create a group cohesiveness instead of focusing on every single individual um, in a sport like volleyball, that is one of the most team sports that there are uh, across the world. Mm. Why would you say athletes, there's certain athletes that struggle um, with being coached, you know, because, you know, one of the traits that we'll talk about is that, you know, as an athlete, you need to be coachable. So you need to be mm -hmm. able to take instruction. You need to be, you, you need to be able to follow, you know, maybe how your team wants you to play or how your coach wants you to play for those athletes who struggle with that athlete coach relationship. What would you say is the reason in your experience? So as far as coaches or athletes, first, I want to ask why and be really critical and curious about why an athlete is maybe not coming across as coachable. Because mm. um, a lot of times I think that um, maybe the athlete doesn't feel comfortable yet in the environment that they're in. So mm. it's almost like they're putting off these these vibes that they're not willing to learn and they're not open. And so as a coach, it was one of my, right, right when I started coaching, I didn't have a lot of experience. I I didn't get it. I was like, why can't you, why can't you just do what I'm asking you to do? And it was really frustrating. But the second that I flipped my lens and I got curious about that, mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes the athlete was like, I don't really know what you're asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And so it was more on me than it was the athlete of making, creating such a safe place for them to be able to articulate maybe why that relationship or why there was a resistance to the feedback that I was giving. Um, and so what I think is most important for young athletes is not being afraid to ask questions or being scared to ask mm. for clarification of what do you mean by that? Or I'm a little confused. Can you help me out? Um, or I don't quite understand. Mm. I think that's part of the coachable relationship is asking and just asking questions and, and not being afraid of, and hopefully the culture in the gym, like that's a, that's an appropriate thing to do because otherwise you keep harping as a coach on the same thing and not seeing change and then getting frustrated with the athlete mm -hmm. instead of how can that relationship be such a trusting one that the athlete says, help me, I'm struggling. I'm not really sure what you're asking me to do. So I would say that relationship is crucial for both coaches and athletes to continue to work on that safe space. Mm. I like that you mentioned that because if, if we if we're looking at it from that perspective, you know, and we kind of like zone in a little bit, 
you know, on the athletes themselves, you know, just like you mentioning how, you know, maybe they don't feel understood. Maybe they don't know what it is exactly that the coach wants. You know, the good thing about this is that you've been in those shoes. And there was a point, you know, in, in, in reading your story where you, you knew you had the potential, right? You knew you were good. You knew what you could have achieved, you know, but something always kept getting in the way for whatever reason it was, you know, and there are millions of athletes who feel the same way, you know? So for example, on Instagram now, I have athletes who message me like every day, like I can play, you know, I'm good. I need an opportunity. I need a chance, you know, and, and all of that, you know, and obviously because of my experience as well, chasing, playing professional sports, so professional soccer, you know, I've seen that for a lot of these guys, they truly believe they're good. But when it comes to the time to perform, for whatever reason, something always goes wrong. How did you deal with this? And how can athletes who are now in that position also deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. It is a tough spot to be in mentally when you know you are capable of so much and yet again and again and again you keep failing yourself and you mm. keep not living up to the expectations that you have for yourself I like you just said I've been there I spent a lot of time there in uh throughout my college years I might have spent upwards of two years there in that position not really sure what to do to the point that I just wanted to up and quit the sport completely mm. what saved me was, um was working with that sports psychologist in college and being able to articulate that I have a fear of performing in front of maybe people because mm. um, I would play really well in practice, but the second that I'd get an opportunity to yeah. play in a game, I w it was like I've never played before. I was <laughs> shaky. I felt judged. Um, I wasn't living up to my potential. I was letting my family down. Mm. Um, what if I made a mistake? How does that affect me when I go to class tomorrow? Are people going to ask me why I made so many mistakes? So there, there was a fear of um, making mistakes and then in, in, in pressure situations. And so um, how I dealt with that is, one, just being able to like talk about it to someone that you trust mm. of, hey, I, I really want to play better, but right now like I'm just experiencing a lot of fear. Um, and what helped me was really working hard on present moment focus. And I can articulate that now, but I wouldn't say that that's what I worked on mm -hmm. if I was in college. I would just say that I, I was working on calming myself down and trying to fill my brain with things other than negativity. And so I had planned phrases that I would say to myself uh, right before I stepped on the court. Um, I am strong. I am confident. I'm consistent. I'm strong. I'm confident. I'm consistent repeat that over and over again because you, your brain can't think of two things at one time. one time. And so if I just kept a track record playing in my head like that, then all of a sudden I started to feel a little bit more confident and forget about all of the things that I was fearful of. Mm. Um, so that really helped me. And if I did make a mistake, I was able to let it go super fast by um, snapping, I, I, I wore a little rubber band oh, or ponytail yeah. holder mm. on my wrist, and it was my cue that it was up and gone. And I, I don't have to think about it anymore, can't change it anyways. And that helps me stay present moment focused on the court. And I started to feel a lot better mm. about that. 
Oh, that's a good answer. You know, and, and what, what, what comes to mind when you mention that, you know, in terms of mentioning present minded focus or, you know, being, being in that moment, you know, currently now the, the difficulty with that, you know, so I'm just thinking, you know, someone listening to us right now, you know, and saying, okay, Tola and Cassie, like, you know, that's, that, that's amazing. That's great. But if I have to deal with that, are we forgetting that I also have to still perform? You know, so I want to keep these tracks playing in my mind, right? I'm strong. I'm good. Um, I can do this, but I still have to play. How do I manage those two things? Great question. So that track for me only played when I was um, in a real match or mm. a real competition. When I was in practice, I was in the training mindset mode. And so I had my performance mode and then I had my training mode. And so in practice, I was learning the game and I was excelling at the game and I was getting better at the game and I was willing to learn at that time. Mm. Performance was almost like, okay, it's showtime. What are the things that I need to flood my brain with so that I almost like don't think and I just play? Because um, I would overthink every single thing in a match, but not really in practice. Um, and so I think that's really important um, when it comes to just kind of like keeping your, keeping your focus and trusting that you have put in all of the work in practice mm. leading up to that game that you get to just kind of like show off your skills. It's not too much of thinking. Now, I will say that volleyball is a game where you do have um, a few seconds between points. Yeah. And so sometimes in those moments, I would just keep asking myself, what's next? What do I need to prepare for? What might be coming um, so that I'm not surprised by the next play? Um, which again, I will credit to the work that we did in practice leading up to that. It's just executing the game plan, mm. but checking in between points. So I like volleyball in the sense that like you kind of get a little break every minute or so to regroup and think about what's next. We're in a game like football, soccer, basketball, those types of sports that are just going for time. You maybe don't have that natural break. So it's important that you find something that you can reset yourself with um, purposefully mm. in, at some points in time in those games or sports. Oh, nice. You, you mentioned performance and, you know, you mentioned training, you know, so uh, the, the, the way you approach things when you're performing, the way you approach things when you're practicing. I don't want to forget that. That's why I mentioned that, but I'm going to come back to that. But I'm thinking about the athlete now who more or less lives in self-denial. So you're going to see the athletes, just like we mentioned that we talked about, right, who they're excellent in practice. Like practice, they're untouchable. When they get to the game, something goes wrong. Now, when you tell them things like what we're discussing now, they just don't believe it. They're like, no, 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 that's not the reason. And they kind of tell themselves all these other things that could go wrong when it was just that you just didn't handle things properly. What would, you, what would your advice be to an athlete like that who more or less, quote unquote, is living in self-denial? Yeah, when I think of self-denial, I think of um, like blaming other things for my performance. So mm. I might think of like, oh, well, the ball wasn't passed to me in the way that I wanted yeah. it to put me in a good spot to shoot. Um, or the field is really wet. And if the field wasn't wet, I would play exactly. a lot better. Um, so I think, I think really helping the athlete focus on taking ownership. So what are the things that are within your, your own control that it's nobody else's fault but your own if you didn't play well. And in which that, in those cases, I would think of um, maybe your attitude. So are you, do you have the right energy level for you to perform at your best? And mm -hmm. hopefully athletes are gaining awareness and practice of, man, 
I played really, really well when I was full of, full of energy or, um, I played really, really well when I felt, I felt really calm at practice mm. today, or I felt really charged at practice today. Um, and then learning, I mean, that's a whole other conversation of managing your own energy levels and yeah. how do you do that? But if you can, if we can help athletes gain awareness, um, I think that kind of falls into something that they eventually will be able to control, um, and not blame their energy level on, Oh, I didn't get as, I didn't get enough sleep last night. So that's why I didn't play or I didn't get my 20, 20 minute nap in. And that's why I didn't play well. Um, so helping them kind of like manage that. But I also think about your effort. Are you putting in the effort to play at your best? Or are you mm. just expecting your best to come to you without having to work very hard? Mm. Um, and I think athletes often forget how much fun it is to work hard. The mm. game is 10 times more fun, more exciting when you put in your max effort. Um, so that comes to mind. And the last thing I would say is um, your preparation. Mm. Are you expecting to be great without without getting in some extra reps or asking mm. for help or checking out YouTube videos. If you have access to that on the greatest basketball plays of 2020 um, or mm. football or soccer, whatever it is, are you studying enough to get yourself to play at your best? Mm. Um, so I think a few of those things of not blaming, but taking ownership over the performance. Mm. Are, you, are you studying the best? You know, that, that, that one got me. I like that you mentioned the energy levels, you know, and what, what, what I'm thinking, you know, in my mind, just, just listening, I'm putting myself like someone that's listening now, is motivation, right? So um, I think it was a few, a few hours ago, either yesterday or a few hours ago, you know, there's an athlete who messaged me and he was talking about how, how pumped he was that he found me on Instagram, you know, and how what I do is great. And how supporting this athlete is amazing. And, you know, he's just excited to train again, you know, and get back into his sport and start working hard and start putting in the effort. You know, and I was like, that's amazing. Like, that's great that you feel that. But I will be more concerned about the times that you don't feel this great and whether or not you would still want to put in the work. So literally, that was the message that I typed to him. What wow. would you say to those athletes who, when the motivation is high, they're good to go. When the motivation is low, everything kind of like goes awry. Great question. And I think it's important for athletes to hear that. Mm. Hear that your motivation is going to ebb and flow. There's going to be days where you don't feel like doing the hard thing. Do you, and there's going to be days where it's super easy for you to do the hard thing or even to go to practice or to train or mm. to eat healthy, all the things to help you be a great athlete. Um, but when things, when you're not feeling motivated, I would, I live by the phrase, fake it till you make it. Mm. I do that every morning up until this day. I'm the worst morning person in America. <laughs> um, you don't want to catch me in the mornings in the first 10 minutes that I wake up. But once I decide to fake my own energy level and say, mm. you know what? I'm acknowledging that I really don't want to go to work today, but I'm going to pretend like I do. I'm just going to have a little extra pep in my step. I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to walk through the door and say good morning to everybody um, and be really consistent in that. And this is a big re revelation for me because I can't remember which book exactly that I wrote, but what stood out to me about the book was that you can have thoughts and you can act independently from your thoughts. Mm. Your actions your actions do not have to follow your thoughts. Wow. And so you can think that, 
man, I'm really tired. But that doesn't mean that you need to act tired. Or if you tell yourself, or you can just feel your energy really, really low, it doesn't mean you have to carry yourself around like you have low energy. And so as an athlete, what I wish that I would have known as an earlier age, um, when I wasn't feeling motivated, was that I can notice that as a thought, and then I can act differently, and I can choose a different route and know that eventually, once I get myself going, all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, the day's flying by. I love what I'm doing. This is really fun. I'm working really hard. I'm making great connections mm. with my teammates and things like that. So um, that was one revelation that I would share with athletes is don't always just act based on what your thoughts are. Uh, super good. You know, I said, I said this was going to be good. Like, ah, oh, that's good. Like thoughts and actions, like they don't have to follow. We just feel like, okay, um, just because I, I still feel sleepy in the morning, and I want to hit the snooze button, then it means that I, can, I, I should still sleep. If I'm thinking about sleeping and my body is already out of bed and moving, right? I, I kind of like have to go, oh, wow, that's good. Like that's a, that's a really good one. The reason we're talking about all of this, Cassie, is that we're trying to help athletes be the best they can be, right? Now, we're going to see the athletes, you know, so I was, I was reading your story as well, and I saw that you competed, you know, in, in, in D2, and I think it was D3, I coached D3, competed D2. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Or I coached both. Yep. Both. Now, you're going to see the athletes who it is the, if they're not, if they're not going to perform at the highest level possible, right, they're not going to give it their best. You know, so I'll give you an example now. If, if there's an athlete that's listening to us and, you know, planning to get a scholarship, you know, to go abroad, you know, compete in their sport of choice. And we say things like, oh, it's only D3 schools that are available. Or you have to go and compete in the NAIA, you know, or, or something lesser than the NCA. You know, they're going to be like, if it's not D1, you know, then that's it. And I try to make them understand and I try to help them see that, look, just because you're not competing at that highest level doesn't mean that you shouldn't compete at all. What would your advice be to athletes who have that type of thought process that it's number one or nothing? It's mm. either that highest level or no level mm. at all. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. I, um, when I first started looking for, for colleges and I live in the States, I started looking at division one schools and have this perception that I could play at that level. And so mm. I can relate to these athletes that you perceive yourself to be able to play at that level. But maybe in reality, this is, maybe there's a different level that you're going to have way more fun at. Could I have gone to a division one school and been on their volleyball team? Absolutely. Would I have enjoyed my experience? Probably not because I wouldn't have gotten a lot of playing time and I mm. love to play. Um, and so what, what else is important to know about the United States is, in terms of our divisions is that um, there are certain regions of the United States where maybe a division one team is the exact same level as a division three school or division two school. Mm. And so, um, and I can give an example, uh, perhaps like, um, I'll use volleyball as an example because I feel really confident about talking about volleyball. Um, but for example, the division two school that I played for would compete against division one schools Mm. in our off season. And a handful of those division one schools, we ended up winning against those teams. (laughs) And so, yeah, which is really fun. Um, But I would also say on the flip side of that, there were probably some high-level D3 teams that also could have gave us a run for our money and Mm. beat us um, at the Division II level. And so just because a school is labeled 
as Division One, Division Two, or Division Three doesn't dictate the type of experience that you're going to have there. I will also add, as a coach at the Division Three level, it made me, as a Division Two athlete, want to play Division Three. And part of that reason is because you get such a well-rounded experience. Mm. You can um, you can take more liberal arts classes. Your class schedule is more flexible. You can travel more. Um, and so it's, it really depends on what's most important to the athlete. And I would always say that uh, sports, sports are awesome and they teach us great life lessons, mm-hmm. but they're not everything. And one day, one day your, your sports career is going to end and you want to have set yourself up to be super well-rounded, to be able to do what you're really passionate about doing as well. Mm. Oh, that's good. You're going to see the athletes who are overly competitive, you know, so just like you mentioned towards the tail end, right? And they always want to win. They, 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 they can't handle losing for whatever reason that it is. You know, so the minute they lose, like it's, it's disaster that is going to follow in terms of what are some of the mental strategies that athletes like that can begin to embody, knowing fully well that it is sports. You would never always win. If you were always going to win, then they're going to like create a sport for you where it's just going to be you that would compete and then we'll come and watch you. What are some of the strategies that athletes like that can begin to practice to help them understand that losing is a part of sports? It is a part of sports. I think that's a reality check for a lot of athletes is um, they play the sport to win. Mm. And if you're playing a sport to win and that's your only purpose, you're going to be really, really disappointed a lot of the time. Mm. Um, And, and, also think about how much fun would sport be if you just knew you were going to win all the time. I think it'd be so boring. I'd be like, Oh, here I go again to play volleyball and I'm going to win again. Um, and so I think that perspective for an athlete shifting it to, um, if I don't handle losing very well Mm. to me, that's adversity. And so if you, um, if you're not able to overcome adversity, I don't, I don't know if you truly can reach your full potential mm. because adversity is a little bit outside of your control An injury could happen. You could lose a game. Um, you could lose all of your games in a season. And if that's the reason that's going to hold you back from being your best, I think that's a really good reality check for yourself to say, how do I handle losing? And do I get knocked down by losing? And does it affect my, um, does it affect my effort in the next practice? Am I holding on to that loss and I'm mm-hmm. letting it dictate my performance? Um, because re- in reality, there's nothing that you can do to change the outcome. What you can do is learn from whatever happened. And um, I encourage the athletes that I work with to use a specific journal. I call it their sport journal. Mm. Um, and it helps after big losses to feel the emotion and be able to write the emotion out in their journal and acknowledge that they're feeling sad or mad or disappointed in themselves and acknowledging that emotion helps them quickly move past it Mm. and look more objectively at the game and say, okay, what went well? What did I do well? What could have gone maybe a little bit better? And what am I going to do tomorrow at practice to ensure that I'm going to give my best effort to reach that next level of my Mm. performance? Oh, good. Now, those are the confident athletes, right? You know, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like I'm stressing Cassie, but you know, I'm, I'm enjoying, (laughs) I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this. So this is good. Those are the confident athletes. 
you know, we, we cannot but abandon the athletes who have, quote and unquote, what you would call the imposter syndrome, right? You know, so Tola and Cassie is great. You're talking about these athletes who always want to win. They never want to lose. They're very competitive. They're very, okay, what about me? I struggle to believe in myself. You know, I, I, whichever one it is, I just can't get out of myself to, to see myself performing, to see myself winning, to see myself doing well. What are some of the mm-hmm. strategies you employ with athletes like that to, to more or less get them to conquer the imposter syndrome? Mm, that's such a good question. Toa, thanks for asking me that. I think the, you mentioned the word see a couple times, see myself do it, mm. see myself practice this and become great at it. And to plant a seed um, in, in this conversation could, could go for a long time. So I'll try to keep it short. But yeah. <laughs> one thing that I think athletes could utilize as a tip or um, a, pra- a mental practice even is dreaming and mm-hmm. purposeful dreaming. And we call that in sports psychology, we call that mental imagery or visualization. And it's Ooh, not nice. talked about as often as it should, but if you can see it, you can become it. And so we can use mental imagery in so many different ways, but the way I like to think about it is just, you're creating your own dream. And so um, we can use it to build your confidence we can use it to learn a new skill. Mm. Um, we can watch, maybe you watched a movie on the greatest greats and you have a good image of maybe a, a goal that they scored and you can watch that again and again in your mind and then start to picture yourself doing it. Um, and so mental imagery can be extremely powerful in helping non-confident athletes start to feel more confident. To tie into that, I would also say that as coaches, We should be helping our athletes develop their confidence Mm. by noticing more frequently when something goes well, because as coaches, we just want to fix, 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 fix. Oh, I saw you do this. You can do this better. You saw this, you can do this better. Instead of just giving simple feedback of that was awesome Mm. and leave it at that. Um, I think an athlete then only has that to hold on to. Wow, I did something really well. And now how do I repeat that success? Um, and so we call it the, the exercise that we do with athletes here with a company that I work with is a confidence resume. Mm. And so just like you would write out a resume for a job that you're applying for, um, you might write out all the skills that you're awesome at. Um, I'm good at dribbling. I'm good Mm. at shooting. Mm. Um, I work really, really hard. I make great connections with my teammates, which I think in my experience as a coach, naturally builds your confidence when you're working on your leadership skills. So uh, making eye contact, smiling, giving high fives, positive encouragement, that there is a correlation there. And this is really experiential uh, data here Mm -hmm. from just what I've noticed through my experience of watching athletes confidence go from zero to a lot in a short amount of time, just because of the connections that they're making with people Mm. raises their performance. Mm. Um, And so I think that that's really important to help, to help our athletes get outside their comfort zone, maybe a little bit and um, focus on skills other than just their sports, work on people skills, work on relationship skills, work on being a good teammate, um, which in turn can help an athlete feel more comfortable. The more comfortable we are, the more confident we are. Yeah. Uh, good one. I, I was going to ask you about leadership because you mentioned it somewhere there, but you talk about the company you're working with and that's mentally strong consulting. You know, 
talk to me about the things that you guys are doing because I, I noticed that um, that company was started to help more athletes. You know, just like we talked about in the beginning about how, you know, psycho- sports psychology is like kind of new, you know, and there are many athletes that don't even know about it. But that's why the company was started. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys do. Awesome. Yeah. So we travel around to high schools and we work with uh, teams throughout a season. So um, whether, you know, it could be any team and we meet with them maybe five times throughout their season for about, you know, 45 minutes, an hour. And we, our purpose is to have a lot of fun while we're there, but we also want to give away these strategies and these tools Mm -hmm. that they can practice and implement in practice so that, by the time competition comes, they feel really comfortable working with their focus cues, mm. with walking in with confident body language, with handling negativity or making mistakes um, and bouncing back from those, staying more present-minded focused. And so there's all of these awesome topics that, as an athlete in high school myself, I had no idea that one, they existed and two, you could train it. <laughs> I thought that the athletes that were great were destined for greatness, mm. that they got there because of a God given talent that they had. And that's such a bummer for myself that I couldn't get there instead helping athletes understand that these are secret weapon tools mm. that you have in your mind. People don't even know that you have them, but you know how to turn your confidence up. You know how to overcome negativity. You know how to stay in the present moment, which is where peak performance happens. So um, our company helps teach those strategies to not only teams, but then also um, one-on-one with athletes. So um, it's a it's a it's really fun job. I really enjoy the individual work <laughs> and the teamwork, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's there's just so much that goes into it that. Um, if, if I was an athlete right now competing, I would do what it sounds like a lot of them are doing of reaching out to you and saying, hey, and just communicating. I'm, I'm really struggling in this specific area of my sport. Do you have any tips? Mm. Um, and I'd be more than happy to connect with them as well. Um, if you want to hand over my Instagram and Twitter, I'd, I'd love to connect with them. Uh, fantastic! I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people that will be that will be getting in touch with you. You know, by the time by the time this is going to air, and I absolutely love what the company does. What would you say is one of the recurring themes? Now, you, you don't have to go into any specifics as it relates to, you know, the athletes themselves, you know, but in helping these athletes in going to these schools, what's one thing that you've seen reoccur more than others in terms of the struggles that these athletes face? Hmm, great question. I think we touched on it a little bit briefly, but keeping athletes motivated hmm. or excited about opportunities that they get and, Um, here in the States, the opportunities have been pretty endless, um, for these athletes. They play Mm -hmm. year round and they play against teams. They practice teams year round, no matter really what the sport is now. And because of COVID, they got the sport taken away from them or they Mm -hmm. didn't have access for the first time in their lives. They did not have access to what they wanted to do. So before COVID, I think that was the theme of, um, maybe burnout or just, the lack of effort or the lack of willpower Mm. um, or motivation and how do you, how do you stay motivated? And I think that's really, really tied to, which I'll get to in a second, but I think that's really tied to their purpose. Like, why are you playing this sport? Are you playing this sport because your parents signed you up for it? Are you playing the sport because you love it and you can't imagine your life without it? And now that they've imagined their life without it, it's they're they're not taking opportunities for granted of practice mm. time. Um, 
of competing in the sport that they love. So that's one theme I would have said is the biggest one. And then it's specifically working with female athletes. There definitely is um, a level of perceived confidence that they feel like they should always be at mm. and teaching them that it's okay to not always feel confident, but you can appear confident. Well, that's, uh, that's good. Like, um, I'm just picking up so many, so many things that you, you know, you're mentioning and how, you know, I have to kind of sift through it so I can be mindful of your time. But at the same time, I want to get the best out of Cassie, you know, so that we, 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 we enjoy it. So that, that, that's amazing, you know, and it's, it makes sense in the sense of that, that motivation aspect. Now, you also mentioned helping these athletes, you know, turn their confidence up. Can you, can you share with us quickly how athletes can turn their confidence up? You know, so, you know, I'm feeling down and, and whichever one it is, how can I just have that pep? What's something that I can do, you know, that helps me get out of whatever it is I'm currently in? Mm-hmm. Great question. I think what comes to mind first when I think about helping athletes build their confidence or if, if one day you're like, oh, my confidence is kind of shaky. I'm not really sure why yesterday I was kind of feeling confident and today I'm not. It's kind of a moment to moment thing, which is common. It's important to know that that is normal. Um, nobody wakes up feeling 100% confident yeah. every single day. Um, so if that's you, you're just like the rest of us, myself included. And so mm. um, one practice that I've done since I was a little girl is I love sticky notes. I love stickers and specifically on my mirror. Mm. Um, and so the older that I got, the more purposeful that I got with them. So instead of them just being all stickers, I started to write quotes on them and things like that. And on days that I'm not feeling really confident, I would recommend that um, athletes write out some phrases that just to maybe say like, I am confident. I am awesome. Mm. You know, those, those I am, I will, I can statements on actual sticky notes as a visual reminder that, um, that you can start to feel more confident after you start thinking more confidently. Mm. Um, and there's plenty of research behind that of our thoughts dictate our emotions mm-hmm. and our emotions dictate our actions yeah. sometimes as well. And so um, from the moment to moment confidence, I like to start my day out with some confident thinking um, and then hoping that it, <laughs> and it does most often um, start to elicit some confidence. The second thing is I choose to walk differently and I I'll flash back and circle, tie this up real nice with um, as a gymnast, I was taught that I was taught how to walk confidently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for, for me that has transcended and been a backbone that I can fall back on when I don't feel confident I choose to carry myself in a way that exudes confidence mm. and then it never fails. I start reminding myself of my past accomplishments. And when I remind myself of my past accomplishments and how far I've come and how hard that I've worked, I will tie that in as well. Your work mm. ethic can also dictate your level of confidence yeah. that that can take you from a very, very down confidence state, <laughs> not confidence to exuding confidence and giving off confidence to the people that you're around. Um, and so those are choice things that I choose to do to this day, but wish that I would have paid more attention to it in sport. 
it's good that you mentioned that, Cassie, because you know when 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 this episode when this podcast hit um, episode five hundred. So just just like I was telling you, you know, before we went on air, right, about how you know over five hundred episodes, you know, and there were people, you know, that kept messaging me. And by the way, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer as well, so it's not like it's, it's it's just a podcast. You know, I I have a passion for helping young athletes, you know, and that's why I do this in terms of you know helping them with the performance side, helping them with the mental side, because I know that this is what we're lacking, you know, on this side of the world. You know, and people were like, Tola, how did you do it? Like 500 episodes, you, you have a busy schedule with law, you know, you have this, you have that, you know, and I, and I, and I laugh and I'm like, ah, if you know the amount of times I actually wanted to stop, like I'm not doing this. And it's not because of anything negative, you know, somebody said this or somebody said that. I just wasn't feeling it. You know, just like you mentioned, mm-hmm. like, you know, we all get to that point where we are not confident. But one of the things that I also do is I save messages of athletes who have sent me, you know, words of encouragement, you know, like, like Tola, mm-hmm. what you do, you're like God sent, like what you do is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I thank you for this. There was, there was an athlete who, who listened to the podcast and from actualizing and practicing everything that I thought, you know, made it to the European championships in their sports, you know, so, you know, things like that, you know, so I go back and I read that and I'm like, Tola, you can't stop this, right? Like you have to, <laughs> like you just you're have to keep going. Now. You know, so it, it ties in perfectly yeah. into into what you said. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. You had this thing at the IMG Academy, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you got to work with this young athlete. There, there are two questions that come to mind from that experience. What was it like working with those athletes? And what would you say to the athletes who believe that they have to go to an academy like that for them to stand any chance? You know, so they're going to see, you're going to see athletes who, you know, they feel like, it's because of the opportunities I don't have that I'm not able to make it in my sports. You know, if only mm-hmm. I could go to the IMG Academy, if only I could go mm-hmm. to this Academy or that Academy that had mm-hmm. a name, we all know it doesn't work like that. What do you say to athletes like that? And what was your experience like working at the Academy? Mm-hmm. Um, well, working at the Academy, it's a very prestigious Academy and I was yeah. even lucky to be there. Um, I would say that Take me with you next you know, time. <laughs> yes, everybody come with. It'll be fun. A little field trip. Um, yeah, I will say that um, the athletes that, you know, and I was there for the summer for camp for camps specifically, but um, working nonetheless, uh, working, working with the athletes there, you know, um, they're, they're, uh, and I want to say this gently, but they're just like you. Mm. They, mm. they're just looking for extra reps. Um, they might've picked IMG thinking that they would get noticed more. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. They have athletes of all different levels there. It's not just the top athletes in every sport in high school that attend IMG Academy or other academies across the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, now the focus at the Academy, I will say is different than most high schools that they put a large emphasis on sport performance. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunities for them between, leadership training and extra conditioning and, and maybe they, they, they put a larger emphasis on training the whole athlete more than perhaps a, a, a another school, high school across the U S. So um, as far as athletes not having the opportunity to go there um, and trust me when I say that is a large majority of people, um, I wouldn't let that stop you from, from saying like, Oh, I guess I can't reach my full potential or I guess I can't, accomplish my dreams. 
you can do anything that you set your mind to. And I know that that sounds really cliche and it was something that was told to me as a little girl, but if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way Mm. you'll, you'll, you'll find a way to practice more. You'll find a way to study more. You'll find a way to connect with people more. And the most powerful thing that I learned, you know, in the sports world is that the sports world is really, really small. If you are a really hard worker and you want it bad enough, opportunities are going to come your way. Trust the process. Yeah. Um, it's not a end all be all of, Oh, if I didn't get into that Academy, I guess I can't accomplish my dreams. Um, again, that's kind of that all or nothing thinking instead of saying, what is the possibility? What possibilities will come to me if I just work and put in the time and the effort and the energy and the passion mm. to accomplish those dreams? What if, what if you just tried? Oh, that's, that, that's it. Trusting, trusting the process. Find a few questions I have for you, Cassie, and I'm sure that we're, we're going to have to bring you back because there's so many things that, you know, we've not been able to talk about. And what you can talk about in, in, in this type of, in this time frame, you know, is, is actually kind of limited. And I, I, I totally understand that. And, you know, this has, this has gone really well. Now, obviously, the, one of the major focuses of an academy like that, you know, is inculcating the parents into the process as well, because these are young athletes. We must not forget that. You know, talk to me about, you know, mental strategies that parents can use to help their children in sports, you know, because now I feel like now, at least in Africa, like more parents are getting to the point where they're allowing their children play sports more and many of them want to see their children mm-hmm. succeed, right? What are some of those strategies that parents can use to help them? I think what's most important for parents is <clears throat> to focus on goal alignment. Mm. Um, a lot of the time that the parent wants something that the athlete doesn't want. Um, and so Mm. that may, for example, be, um, playing on the highest, highest possible level, um, that requires this much commitment and this much effort. And perhaps the athlete doesn't love the sport enough or to that level that maybe the parent wants them to love it towards. Um, and maybe the parents, I know I, I often say, give get yourself a little reality check here. Are you playing the sport? Because you're living vicariously through your son or daughter. Mm. Um, and so I think it's important, just an important self check question to ask myself is, am I supporting my athlete out of love and opportunity? Or am I supporting my athlete because I want them to reach a certain status? Um, and so, yeah, to tie that back into goal alignment, I think it's really important for parents and action thing that you could do is have a candid conversation with your athlete and ask, them why they play the sport what is so much fun about playing soccer why do you love it so much Mm. um so the athlete or so the parent knows why they're investing their time and money and effort um into getting the athlete to practice on time uh, making sure that you know the athlete is using their time wisely and whatever i think just the athlete and the parent getting on the same page is a really important conversation to have um the other thing, uh, oftentimes in our sports psychology uh, conversations with parents, we talk about the car ride home mm. um, or the walk home or what, what do you say after your, when your child gets in the car? Is it how was practice? What did your coach say? Um, what did you do well? What did you suck at? Um, or if a parent is watching a game, they might think that they're the coach. And so they might start coaching the mm. child in the car. Um, and that's a stressful time for an athlete because they're still kind of wrapping their minds around how the game went and what things maybe they could do better. So that space and time for parents to just say, I just loved watching you play today. 
is all the athlete needs is validation of love and that the parent enjoyed watching and had fun watching. Oh, that's it. That's a good one. Like, ah, hit the nail on the head, especially the part where you talked about them enjoying the sport, you know, and not, not, not living vicariously through your children. So because for whatever reason, like, for example, I now, the reason I didn't play professional sport was I tore my ACL. So right as I was graduating from uni, I tore my ACL at the wrongest time possible, you know, so, you know, I can imagine my daughter now, you know, me pouring everything that I feel like I should have done <laughs> into her, into what I wanted to do. Like, but hey, if she wants to go down the sport, I would encourage her, you know, I would yep. surround her with the right influences so that she yes. kind of takes that sports part, but it ultimately still has to be a choice. You know, final questions for you, Cassie. The reason I named the podcast Athlete Maestro was because I wanted to help athletes master their craft of being an athlete. I'd gone through the process. I'd seen that on this side of the world, we are very deficient with information and access to the information for the athletes. You know, so the, the average African athlete thinks it's all about talent, right? You know, so I was the best when I was five years old means I'm going to be the best when I'm 20 years old. You know, mm -hmm. so when they get exposed to a different level of competition, they're now like, okay, so it wasn't all about talent. And it's kind of like too late, right? So I started mm -hmm. that I started this podcast for that reason, helping them master their craft of being an athlete. What would you say in your estimation it means to be a master of your craft? Hmm. Great question. I think to be a master of your craft means you never stop learning and you mm. never stop growing and you never stop trying. Um, when I think of who the masters are in my life, um, the legends that I look up to, uh, I don't think they perceive themselves as masters because they're constantly thinking of how I can continue to be my best, which mm. I think is what this podcast is all about is this never ending pursuit of greatness. Uh, personal greatness, personal quest. And when you're at the top of the mountain, keep climbing. Mm. There's another mountain that's going to be bigger and higher. Um, there's going to be new possibilities that you can reach. And unless you, um, if you've ever come to a place where you feel complacent or I've arrived mm. mentality or I'm here, I'm the best. Um, it's a good place to check yourself and be ready to start climbing. Uh, I can't remember who said the quote that when you feel you have arrived, that's the perfect time for you to start again. And I can't remember who said that, but that was, that was a perfect quote. Now, we talked about so many things, Cassie. We've talked about, you know, mental strategy. We've talked about confidence. We've, uh, we've talked about, you know, working with sports psychologists, acknowledging the mental side, imposter syndrome. Um, we've talked about the, the overconfident athlete. There are many things that we've talked about, Cassie. For the athlete who is listening and says, Cassie, I want one thing that I can start today that gets me a step closer to my goal. It doesn't have to get me to the goal. You know, I acknowledge that this is a process. I acknowledge that it's going to take time. But you and Tola have talked about so many things, but I just need one thing to get going to get me a step closer to my goals. What would you say that one thing is, Cassie? Mm. You ask a tough last question. <laughs> oh gosh, I... If I wanted to take a step closer to my dreams, can I give two? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's Cassie. We I would. <laughs> Yay, thanks. Um, I would buy myself or figure out a way to get my hands on or make a sports journal, mm. something that I'm going to dedicate my journey to um, so that when I, anytime I pick up a basketball, anytime I kick around a soccer ball, um, anytime I go to practice, I'm building my awareness 
And that's the most important thing. If we can become aware of our thoughts, if we can become aware of our emotions, if we can become more aware of our actions, here's what I did. And that gives us a baseline then of what's next. What are my choices? What can I do with this information? Um, I would say that's the first one. And then the second one is find a way to grow and learn. So by that, I mean, um, find us, find a sports book. If there's mm. access to those, um, you know, a, one of my favorite books, and I'm sure, uh, on a previous podcast, James Leith mentioned this. And if he didn't, um, like the book legacy about the New Zealand, all blacks mm. is one of the best sports books that I've read in a really long time. Um, otherwise, um, I know that the athletes that I work with, an easy thing to do to get better is study the game. There's, there's YouTube um, to just type in and, and greatest sports highlights of all time. And um, like I said before, if you can see it, you can become it and you can take that one next step to becoming your best athlete, your best self that you possibly can. Uh, nice two things to do. Thanks to for you, giving to me two. To, to, to your goals. It's amazing. You mentioned the sports journal, you know, there, there's a particular one that I've been working on for a while. But, you know, just like I said, because of how crazy my schedule is, I've, I've just not been able to do it. I know that's an excuse and it's something that I'm still going to get to, but I've been trying to create this, this, this journal for athletes, you know, so that they can do a lot of what you talked about, you know, in terms of writing down how you're feeling, in terms of journaling, in terms of taking stock, in terms of being aware, you know, so it's maybe, maybe the gods are speaking to me now that you're here again to saying, you know, Tola, you still have to do this thing. You know, do not forget these athletes. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, Cassie. It's been amazing talking to you, connecting with you, and, you know, everything that we've talked about over, over the time that we have. I feel like it's one hour, but, you know, it feels like it, it was two minutes or thereabout. I had to take the time <laughs> and I had to call myself to all that. But it's been amazing. I've enjoyed this. Tell us where we can find you on social media, you know, and, of course, um, if you have any questions, you know, as it relates to maybe struggles as an athlete or anything that we're going through, how can we reach out to you? Oh, likewise, Tola. This conversation has been so riveting and um, I'm ready to pick your brain. So when I start my podcast, you'll be my first guest. Okay? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, please connect with me. I, I feel like part of my purpose here on earth is to, um, to is connect with people all over the world. So um, you can connect with me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Cassie underscore weaves w-e-a-v-e-s or on um you can find me on instagram as well at uh c underscore weaves so um and tola also has my email if that works best for you guys as well as athletes otherwise keep on keeping on fantastic definitely we're going to be reaching out you know just to just to ask a few questions if even if it's only to just thank you you know for this amazing episode because i've thoroughly enjoyed this thank you cassie you're welcome. I'm sure, I'm sure you guys see. I'm sure you see exactly what I said at the beginning. So we had Sue Gomez on the podcast, you know, twice previously. And I feel like Cassie, you know, is, is, is someone who we are definitely going to have on the podcast again. Like, you know, these women are so amazing in terms of the knowledge that they share. Like, look at all the things that Cassie was talking about. Like, all the things that she broke down. And you could even hear me during the episode saying, oh, wow, wow, wow. I never thought about that. Like, literally... I was learning as well as you guys. And just like I said, if you implement these things that Cassie is talking about, trust me, your career, 
your life is going to be transformed it will never remain the same again it would never remain the same again do your best guys to reach out to cassie on twitter at cassie weaves so c-a-s-s-i-e w-e-a-v-e-s and of course she's also on instagram at c underscore weaves c underscore weaves so cassie weaves on twitter and c underscore weaves on instagram of course you can send me an email as well uh, if you have any questions for cassie and of course i would encourage you to copy cassie in that email as well she is cassie.weaves at gmail.com cassie.weaves at gmail.com even if it's just to thank her for the episode or you have any questions whatsoever please do reach out send me that email copy cassie in the email as well i'm sure you guys enjoyed this i'm sure you did course you want to share it with other athletes don't don't take in the knowledge alone if you learned anything tangible from this episode share it with your fellow athletes let them also benefit from this amazing episode with cassie weaver and of course do not forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss great episodes like this and of course also leave us a rating and review what your rating and review does is that it tells other athletes who find the podcast who find episodes like this with cassie weaver that look this is amazing content and you would help you be the best athlete you can be and attain the goals that you want to achieve in sports if you don't know how to subscribe you don't know how to leave a rating and review head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe and of course like i said you have any questions whatsoever for me or cassie send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com cassie.waves at gmail.com i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing is not enough you must apply willing is not enough you must do i want you to go out there apply everything you've learned from the amazing cassie weaver i want you to go out there i want you to be a maestro today and every single day